Okay, let's read Luke 9.23 together. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. As you all know, um, and are well aware, last week we began a new year. And a new year for many means the opportunity for new intentions, or should I say a new must or musts. These musts often include amongst us um, cleaning up one's diet, trying a little harder after Christmas break, uh, increasing the frequency of exercise, uh, reducing screen time, and the list goes on. Well, Jesus has a must for us as well for the new year. And it's one that supersedes every other must that we have in our life. He has intentions for us as his church family. And it's not only a must for this year coming, but it's a must for every year after that until he comes back or we die, whichever one comes first. Now the context of this must is important. Jesus, prior to saying this, has made a time um, where he's been in personal prayer with his father. He comes out of this prayer session and he goes to the disciples and asks them a question in verse 18. He says to them, who do the people say that I am? The disciples answer, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah. Others think you're a prophet from the Old Testament that's returned from the dead. Jesus doesn't even respond to any of their suggestions, but then turns to them and says, well, who do you say that I am? You 12. Peter uh, decides to be the representative of the group. And in verse 20, he says, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. Now, Peter was, of course, correct in his estimation. But Jesus' response was interesting to Peter. He told them, and him particularly, not only to not make that public, but he tells them what his purpose was and what his must was as the Christ. In verse 22, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised upon the third day. Now I've stated this many times from the front over the last couple of years, that this idea to a Jewish disciple who was following the Messiah, that their Christ would suffer, was completely ludicrous. Their mindset was that the Messiah, the Christ, was coming to be a military conqueror to liberate Israel. If anything, their Christ was going to inflict suffering upon other people, not be the one to endure it himself. It would be somewhere in the neighborhood of three years after this conversation that these disciples would fully understand why Christ came and what his must entailed and why it had to be that way. But Jesus was clear, as the Christ, his life assignment 
His must was the cross. It was to suffer for humanity. But Jesus knew these disciples had just made the claim that he was the Christ. So if they were going to come to truly believe in him as the Christ, he had a must for them as well. If you're going to declare me Christ, and you're right in your declaration, there's a must for the way you are to relate to me and understand me with that title. And he said to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now what's important about that statement is it was directed towards the disciples, the original 12. But he also directs it to every single person in here this morning that wishes to follow Jesus, who declares him to be the Christ. You see, he didn't say, if you 12 wish to come after me, you must do this. But everybody after you doesn't have to do that. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, anyone. So put your name in there. Adrian, if you wish to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Lorene, if you want to follow Jesus, you must take up, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Jacob, Levi, Micah, if you want to come and follow Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. So what does that exactly mean? What does that look like for life? Well, the Lord first says we must deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. In other words, to deny yourself means you have to come to the end of yourself. Don't raise your hand, or you can if you want to. How many in here have a hard time coming to the end of yourself? How many lessons have you had to learn because you took the hard road and didn't come to the Lord for direction? For you and I to deny ourselves, a two-letter word has to become central and predominant in our vocabulary. And it's not the word on, it's the word no. Deny yourself means no, 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 no and yes to him. That's hard because of the way the Lord's created us as human beings. You see, he gave every human being a mind, a will, and an emotion. So the will is what you want. The mind is what you think, and the emotion is what you feel. That's part of the human existence. All of these three realities drive your actions and your choices in life. The problem comes, and where the self-denial becomes difficult, is when what we want, what we think, and what we feel contradicts what the Lord wants for our lives. Now, 
it's awesome when what we feel, want, and think lines up with what God wants and feels and thinks for our lives. But the rubber really hits the road when we find ourselves in polar opposites. And Jesus is saying, if you believe that I am the Christ, the core of your being is to learn to say no to self and yes to him and his ways. So when you face a situation, the starting place isn't, what am I going to do about this? And what do I feel, think, and want is the right course of action? The question is, and the starting place is, what is God's answer to my situation? How does he want me to respond? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15 makes it clear there's only two ways to live as a follower of Jesus. And, it'll, and if we can't find it on here, we can definitely find it on the, in, the, in our, the actual word. We, here we go. Two ways to live. Paul says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. We live for ourselves, or we live for the Lord. Those are the two options that scripture gives for how we dictate our lives. I've been alive now for 49 years as of this week. Perhaps now more than ever do we understand the radical nature of these words from Jesus. The North American culture screams, it's about my rights, my wants, my desires, my needs, my feelings. It's all about loving myself more. Setting up life actually to love myself more. And if we, if we sort of stand in the way of that, it's how dare you do that? How dare you get involved and tell me that I can't live and choose to live the way that I want to? But when you contrast Jesus' words to the world's thoughts, can you see how radical this is? In our culture, it's about self-promotion, self-love, self-esteem. Jesus says, deny yourself. The essence of life is not about you and what you want, think, and feel. It's about him and his design for you as your, as your creator and your redeemer who gives you eternal life. Now, I want to speak to this, thing, this idea of self-love and self-esteem the, uh, I looked up what the word esteem meant in the thesaurus, and I'm glad I did, because it gave words like self-approval, self-admiration, self-honor, self-reverence. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord wants us to feel significant. He wants us to feel like we have a value and purpose and place in this world. But it's to be founded in his love for you and who he created you to be. The self-esteem was nothing that the Lord wanted you to have apart from him. He actually tells you to deny yourself and, put, and give your heart fully to him. I want to talk a bit more about this self-love and self-esteem because it's a, it's a dangerous thing. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, there are 19 characteristic traits 
of people in the last days. We are in the last days. Just so you know, Pentecost marked day one of the last days. Or some people say the crucifixion. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. So when people in the church say, we're in the end times, yeah, we have been for 2,000 years, okay? We're in the last days. So, but in the last days, there are 19 characteristics of people. And look what the first one is. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. I believe that Paul puts self-love first because that's the root of everything else that follows in that list. If you love yourself, you're gonna love the pleasures of money because you're gonna wanna make your life as good as possible here. If you love yourself, you're not going to, um, you're gonna be conceited because when anything good happens or you do anything well, it's time to boast your reputation. Love yourself is the root of these problems, not just in the world, but in the church. And I believe Paul addressed this to the church for a reason. At the very end, he says, these people hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. So, you know, Paul, Timothy's talking to people that are churchgoers. They've got a form of godliness. The root of all problems, I would suggest, in the church especially, is this, lovers of self. To deny self, then, is to renounce all personal ambition, pride, and self-centeredness. And I have to be on guard just as much, if not more, than you do. This includes me. I don't get a get out of jail free card. But this is what we are told to do. Deny self. Now, you can see why Jesus asks us to, not, to deny ourselves when you see what the second must is. He tells us that we have to take up our cross daily. The cross in our culture has become something that we celebrate. It's a symbol of comfort. It's a symbol of peace to us. Many of us wear necklaces with crosses around our necks. In fact, I bet you some people even have some on here today. I'm not against it because I actually have one myself. Many of the people have crosses all over your homes, either in a stencil or some kind of statue format. Even in your Bibles, I bet you we could find a cross on one of the covers of your Bible here this morning. There's nothing wrong with celebrating that in light of what we know, looking back on what Jesus did. But in the first century, no one would have ever worn a cross around their neck or decorated their home with it as a symbol of peace and security. It was a picture of horror and death and put fear into people. To put it in context, I know Sharon, like your sister, lives in Texas. Imagine Sharon's sister comes up from Texas and you notice this beautiful necklace and then you look closer at the emblem or the pendant and it's an electric chair. Or it's a bed with a lethal injection straps on it. 
you'd be like, what in the world are you wearing that for? Oh, it's a picture of death. You'd be like, you're crazy. You're crazy. And yet Jesus says, take up your cross. Of course, he primarily meant this in terms of an illustration or metaphorical language to teach a spiritual truth. The spiritual truth is this. If you claim that I am the Christ, you are to die to self. The Christian life is a life that is lived as if crucified. Execution is the solution. That's the Christian life. Daryl Bach um, made this comment. Cross-bearing is a powerful ancient image. Rejection stood at the center of that image as well as accountability to the state. The cross-bearer had committed a severe crime and needed elimination. Criminals bore their own crosses as they journeyed to their death. Thus, for a Christian to bear a cross is to be prepared to face rejection and death even as one remains accountable to God for the path one walks. It means that one has died to the world, separated from its values and lifestyles. Because of this, the cross of Christ is going to look different for everyone in here today. It's going to be different because you're all at different stages of life. You're going through different experiences in life. You have different strengths. You have different weaknesses. You have different pasts. You have different temptations. The cross of Christ then is for you, as well as me, is where your will and God's will intersect. Where your will and God's will come to a crossroads. And it's a, the cross is the place where you're going to be asked by Christ to die to self and live for him. So, what does that look like? Well, again, it's very different depending on who you are. But for those of you entering the dating stage, you have a mind, a will, and emotion. You're going to want to be, feel you should be, and think you should be with a particular person. Is that the person, though, that the Lord has for you? Do that, does that person have the characteristics that God would want in a healthy partner? In marriage, you as a husband and have a wife think, feel, and, and, and want very specific things. And you will have it in your head as to how this is to look. Does that marry, though, with Christ's desire for you as a husband and a wife? How about friendships? There are certain people you think, feel, and want to hang out with and engage in and to make your, your primary circle. Are those the people that God primarily wants you to be with? Who's influencing who? Finances. Lots of ways in which you will think, feel, and want to handle money does that coincide with the desires that God has for you and the principles he has laid out for you in scripture? How about the way you raise children? How about the way you approach addictions? 
things that you know that Christ would want you to stop, but the cross of Christ hasn't carried that much power or weight yet in your life. Self has to die for Christ to move in. I have to die for Christ's nature to come in. For me, after 10 years of ministry, I can tell you that there's two areas that I've seen <clears throat> uh, predominant in the Christian community that I wouldn't have known until I became a pastor. And they're issues that I've had to deal with in my own life, so I'm not pointing the finger. The amount of unforgiveness that exists in the church community is incredible. And yet I can stand up here along with other people and teach forgive, 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 and people will not forgive. Unforgiveness is absolutely critical to be set free and to deny yourself and take up your cross. Another one is anger. The amount of people in our Christian community will just flip a lid over silly and simple things, who raise their voices, who are easily provoked. Anger is pervasive in the Christian community. We don't see it on Sunday mornings because we know we have to clean up our act to come in these doors. But behind closed doors, People are easily irritated, easily blow up, easily lose their cool, and are easily provoked. And yet, the fruit of the Spirit is love, patience, self-control. Elders lists, right? You'd be temperate. These are fruits of the Spirit. Everyone in here that's given their life to Christ has the Holy Spirit in them. So those fruits are available to you so why aren't they being manifested? Because you're not dying to self and taking up your cross. Your will, my will, becomes what I want, what I feel, and what I think. Paul in Galatians 2.20 speaks of the crucified life. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me now, here's, this is a perfect verse. We know from that verse alone the crucifixion is metaphorical, right? I've been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. That seems like an oxymoron. But he's saying, I die to self. So how do I live? I live because Christ's in me, and I live the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. What's faith? Faith is obedience, but faith is not knowing the future outcome and still trusting God anyway. It takes faith, right? When It takes faith to say, God makes a promise or tells you to do something, but you don't know what's going to work out for you. But if you obey him anyway, he'll say, you have faith in me. What I'm asking, and again, we don't usually exercise faith because we don't have the security to know that if we do what he asks, that it's going to turn out well for us on the other end. And so that's where we won't deny ourselves and won't take up our cross. But faith is saying, you know what? Even though the outcome is not certain and my future is not secure, because you said it and because you love me and because you asked this of me, I will go your way anyway. And Paul says, I live by, Christ lives in me and I live in the flesh in faith in the Son of God. Self has to die for Christ's nature to move in don't overestimate your spirituality. 
check how much self dominates what you want, what you think, and what you feel. Now there's two points about this cross that we need to talk about. Notice the frequency in taking it up. It's daily. It's not a one and done. And I speak this profoundly, and I speak this especially to the, the, uh, the parents of young kids, or if you're a young kid in here today. If it was about a one-time momentary picking up the cross, then when you commit your life to Jesus, when you say that the prayer, or you confess your sins to him, and you're born again, you could say, well, I did that once. I took up my cross once, and I'm good with God. Jesus says, your relationship with me started in a moment when you first picked up the cross, but now I want you to do it daily after that as well. So Christianity is more than just about a conversion experience. It's about a way of life. It's not just deny yourself to receive him into your life. It's about denying yourself daily as a way of expressing your love for him in life. It's an ongoing reality, and as parents, we have to train our children to understand that. You know, like, um, you, you have a 25-year-old son, and you're 50 years old, and, and you're talking to someone about your heartbreak over your kid, and, and, they, and they say something like, um, well, I know they're a Christian. Well, why? Well, when they were five, they gave their life to the Lord in my living room. What does Jesus say? Daily, you take the cross up. Daily. Submitting our lives in the initial stages is just the first step on a lifelong journey. But secondly, God doesn't force the cross upon you. Notice who is to pick up the cross. You are, I am. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily. It's about a decision. It's about a choice. He, put, he gave you free will so that love could exist. It's a decision that we have to make to live the crucified lifestyle. With all this being said, Jesus then ends with, a, ends with a third must. Once you've denied yourself, once you've picked up the cross, you're to then follow him. Now these are extremely important words, especially in our culture with the Buddhist and New Age movement. Other religious groups and spiritual people could look at this and go, I'm doing this. What do you mean you're doing this? Deny yourself, I do it every day. In fact, I'm intermittent fasting now. Before I was a glutton, and now I'm intermittent fasting, and I'm hungry, and I'm denying myself. Other people would say, like a Buddhist, I'm a, I follow an ascetic lifestyle. You know, I punish myself, my body, and stuff, and to eliminate suffering from my life. I'm denying myself all the time. I, and I'm, I'm cross-bearing. But Jesus makes it very clear. No, no, no. Cross-bearing and denying yourself is only in relationship to following him. 
How do I know if I'm cross-bearing and denying myself because I'm obeying Jesus in the way I make my decisions and in the way I'm living my life? It's his commands, his ways, his life for me. That's when I know that I'm actually fulfilling this command and I'm declaring him to be the Christ. Derek Prince um, is a great Bible teacher. He's, he's passed on now, but he was doing a, a session on legalism. How do you know when someone's legalistic in their life? He gave a list of various uh, things, but he said one sign is that education takes the place of character building. Legalists, people, people who are like, you know, don't live by grace, they really put a high educa- uh, priority on education and don't really care about your character as much. But here's what he said. Jesus never taught anyone, anyone, just to simply increase their knowledge. Everyone he taught had an end goal, that their life would change in response to the teaching he gave. Jesus wasn't trying to increase knowledge. He was trying to help you think and rethink so that your life would change. That was the purpose of all of his teaching. And so he's saying to us, if you say like Peter, I am the Christ of God, it will change the way you live. You will come to an end of yourself at the beginning of a new year. This is the must for the Christian church. Our intentions must be to put him first in everything, every choice, every decision, It's going to look very different depending on who you are and the stage of life you're in, where your strengths are, where your weaknesses lie, what your temptations are, and so on. But again, we can trust him. You can trust someone who loved you so much that he laid his life down for you while you were still a sinner. He did not wait for you to try to... uh, clean up your act morally before he died for you. He died for you in the thick of your mess and your muck. I was talking with uh, Stuart and Laurel um, on Friday and we were talking about the law and grace in the Old Testament. This is really important. In the Exodus, when Israel was in Egypt, when was the law given? Before or after redemption? After, God freed Israel through the 10 plagues and the Passover and through the Red Sea and offered them salvation. Then in the desert gave them the law. His grace redeemed them and then the word was given. Imagine if he said this, Israel, I'm gonna do a test for you. I'm going to give you my law, and if you guys as a nation obey me for six months, I'll redeem you. But if you don't, you're stuck in Egypt. Israel would not have the land of Canaan as they do today. (laughs) They would never have got out of there. Because the scriptures teach, no one has ever obeyed the law perfectly. No one can. Grace always precedes 
commands. Why do we live for the Lord? Because of his love for us. We're not trying to earn his favor. We're doing it as a love response for what he did for us while we were still sinners. This is the message of the cross in its fullest. So what can we take away from today? Just three questions. As you begin the new year, what area of your life is the Lord asking of you to deny yourself and surrender to him? What's the main area right now? Even as I was speaking this morning, I know the Holy Spirit's at work. What is he talking to you about right now? What's the area which self has never been denied or is hardly denied or it's not denied daily, it's just denied once every six months? What's the area that the Holy Spirit's saying, I need you to give me everything? Trust me, give it to me. Second question, if you're even hesitant to hear that question, what might be holding you back from carrying your cross in this area? What is it? Is it fear? Lack of a sense of community? Feel like you lack wisdom? Past pain? Past worry? Uncertainty that life's gonna, you're gonna be protected in the future? And then the list can go on and on and on. But probably most importantly for this morning, third question, would you allow us to pray for you today? I'm gonna have uh, two or three people at the front this morning. If you're ready to surrender that thing to the Lord even this morning, please come up to the front and we'll just sit quietly in the, you know, maybe in these front, this front bench here. What is it you want to give over to him? And can we pray for you? May the journey start this morning. If, if there's a plethora of us and there's a lot to pray for, find someone else too in the church that you trust. The people up here aren't anything special compared to anyone else in here in terms of how they can pray for you or we all have the Holy Spirit. Find someone else too that you trust, that you just want to confess to and, and start to deal with these areas. But the Lord is good. And remember what he said in Luke 4. When he first came in and opened the scroll of Isaiah, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery to the sight of the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed. Deliverance is not just about the exorcist type movies. Deliverance and being set free is about surrendering the things to the Lord that are our crosses that we need to carry. May you be set free in that process start this morning. Amen.